0: standing and pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, remind us of the gospel and just how wonderful and wild and weird it is again today. Remind us, Lord, of the truth that saved us and is saving us. Lord Jesus, send your Holy Spirit now and empower me, the preacher of your word, Lord, to give a clear statement of the truth of your saving acts. And give us all, Lord God, ability, heart, mind, and spirit to receive the implanted word and may it grow up to full flower and fruition in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we started a sermon series out of First Timothy and the series is called Keeping Christianity Weird. And that probably sounds a little weird, but that title comes from remarks made by Dr. Russell Moore and others that maintain that genuine Christianity, that the genuine articulation and practice of the Christian faith is going to seem odd to the conventional wisdom, not just of our age, but of any age. Christianity, if it is clearly articulated, if it is is genuinely lived out, just seems weird in any culture. And the realization that the good news about Jesus Christ is inherently weird is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I would say it's not a bad thing. And in a recent interview with Christianity Day, Dr. Moore said this. He said, When identifying now as a Christian, there is an oddness and strangeness to the claim in some places. But the conception of Christianity as a strange thing is a good thing for the gospel because it lines up with what the gospel is. It's a good thing for the gospel because it lines up with what the gospel is. You see, brothers and sisters, the the gospel doesn't just seem weird, it is weird. And today's reading from 1 Timothy gives us a glimpse into the strangeness of the good news about Jesus Christ that actually has the power to save us. It's not like anything else in this world. And before we can go into the deep strangeness, we need to see the context of the passage that we just heard from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. In the first part of the reading that we heard today, St. Paul instructs Timothy, his his young lieutenant, his, his delegate to the church in Ephesus, that he should charge, Timothy should charge, command certain people to not teach false doctrine. Here it is, 1 Timothy 1.3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge, that is, command certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Not to teach any different doctrine. Paul is telling Timothy, therefore, that there is a distinct doctrine body of Christian teaching that has to be preserved and cannot be deviated from. This is from the apostolic age to the age we live in today. There is a distinct body of Christian teaching that must not be deviated from. It is a deposit handed down from, the, from Christ and his apostles. But you know, um, uh, uh, there, there's bumper sticker theology out there. Uh, About this and uh, and but I got to tell you, bumper stickers and slogans are inherently bad theology. They're just not (laughs) subtle enough uh, to to make uh, to make a good theological point. I remember when back in back in the old days when I was a part of a liberal mainline uh, uh, denomination, which is odd because our communion has eighty million people, but. That one had like I don't know seven million. It was mainline, but I don't know how that works. But anyway, um, but back back in those days, uh, I would often, and it actually did happen fairly well frequently. Uh, I would be chastised for my traditionalist stance on things, and people would wag their heads. And oh gosh, I remember one guy in particular. You know, Ben, doctrine divides. This is the bumper sticker: doctrine divides, but love unites. Doctrine divides, but love unites. Well, hogwash. Hogwash. Because first, first of all, when you say, when you make a proclamation, Doctrine divides, but love unites, you've just stated what? A doctrine. <laughs> That's my doctrine. Doctrine divides, love unites. But, but here's the real, the reality is that Paul says that, that true doctrine is not divisive. Listen to what he says here. He says according, in, in this passage, the opposite is true. 1 Timothy 1.5. The aim of our charge, the command not to teach anything, any other doctrine. The, the aim of this command is, this is what Paul says, is love. And I don't think we often associate sound doctrine with love. We might associate it with being punctilious or doctrinaire, but the aim of it is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Teach sound doctrine, Timothy, because that leads to love. Sound doctrine, sound doctrine unites and brings peace. Genuine Christ-like love can only come from the genuine gospel. Genuine Christ-like love, love can only come from the genuine gospel. Now, One of the false doctrines, evidently based on what we can read here, that Timothy had to confront was coming from, according to Paul in 1 Timothy 6 and 7, coming from certain persons who have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we're not sure exactly who that group of people was, but we do know from other biblical passage, passages that Paul, some of Paul's opponents and some of the gospel's opponents in the first century were what we would call Judaizers. Judaizers were those who insisted that in order for Gentiles to become Christians, they had to first embrace the law of Moses. So this seems to match up with those who are seeking to be teachers of the law. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, you Gentile, you must first come under the law of Moses. They taught that the foundation for following Jesus, therefore, the very foundation, the bedrock for following Jesus, was the Jewish law. And Paul is saying, and Paul is arguing here that that is a false foundation. That is not the foundation for following Christ. We need to be clear, though, and here Paul is very clear the law is wonderful if it is rightly used. And that's what Paul says. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Yes, he's making a play on words there. So, what is this? So, if, if, we're not, if the law isn't the foundation for following Christ, what is the right use of the law? St. John Chrysostom, yes, this is hundreds and hundreds of years before John Calvin, said this. He said, he said the right use of the law turns us over to Christ. He says, if you use it rightly, if you use the law rightly, Chrysostom says, it sends you to Christ. For since the law's aim is to justify people, and it fails to effect this, its aim is to justify, but it fails to effect this, it hands us over to him who alone can do so. And that's why Paul says this. He says, this is verse 9, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. We need Here's the reason we need the law. We need the law to be held up to our sin as a mirror to show us that we need a Savior. The law cannot save us. The law can't make us right with God. But it can, it, the, the law. The law can't give us a new beginning. It can't give us a transformed life. It can only do this. It can reveal and it can condemn our sin. The law reveals and condemns our sin. And Paul enumerates some sins there. He's actually thinking about. He's actually thinking about the Ten Commandments as he lists those people that the law is for. And the, he lifts the law up as a way of saying, "This is who you are before God." And it's in, and here's the great thing. It's in the context of thinking about the Jewish law that Paul's thoughts turn to the weird and wonderful gospel. This is the weirdness. This is the deep weirdness I want us to focus on. And here's what Paul says. He said, this is the law. all the law can do is show us how bad we are. And then I think this is what happens in Paul's mind. He thinks about who he was. The law can show us how bad we are and how much we need a Savior. This is who the law reminds me that I was. And he says it clearly in uh, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or it may read in your translation of whom I am the chief the chief of sinners Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost that is the gospel god loves listen we please be reminded of this we need to be reminded of this god loves and saves sinners he has a fondness for people who have royally screwed up their lives in fact that's Jesus, we heard him say in the Gospel of Luke this morning, the only people he came for was for sinners. In his autobiography, uh, Brother to a Dragonfly, Will Campbell, who was one of the great leaders of the Civil Rights Movement in the uh, 50s and 60s, uh, started the Koinonia community down in uh, Georgia. He, he recalls how his friend... Uh, uh, P.D. East, had badgered him for a succinct definition of Christianity. It reminds me of um, uh, when, the, when, a, when a Gentile, uh, a God-fearer, came to Rabbi Hillel and said, uh, sum up the law while, while standing on one foot. And uh, Rabbi Hillel gave a succinct statement of the law. But uh, Will Campbell's friend came, came to him and said, I want a succinct uh, succinct definition of Christianity I don't want a long or fancy explanation I'm not too bright he told Campbell keep it simple in 10 words or less what's the Christian message in 10 words or less what is the Christian message and so Campbell obliged his friend and he said this we're all bastards but God loves us anyway we're all bastards but God loves us anyway Now, if you're upset that I said we're all bastards, but God loves us anyway, you're missing the gospel. Uh, His friend said, you want to try again? You've got two words left. (laughs) And that statement describes who Paul was. That's who Paul was. Paul says that he was a blasphemer persecutor, and insolent opponent of Jesus Christ. In Acts 9, it says that right up until the moment that Paul accepted Christ, and by the way, he didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus, uh, Paul was stalked by the risen Christ. Christ came looking for him on the road to to Damascus. And in Acts 9, verse 1, right before the account of that conversion, it says that Paul was breathing out threats and murder, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And Paul says here in First Timothy, I am the chief of sinners. I was, I was breathing out threats and murders. I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent of Jesus Christ. And here's his point. Paul is saying this. Hear me. He says, if, if God can save me, he can save anybody. The person who hated Jesus and his followers the most, the man who held the coats of the mob that stoned one of the first Christian deacons, Stephen, they stoned him to death. Paul held their cloaks so that they wouldn't get blood and brain on their nice clothes. That's the man that Jesus personally sought out, saved, and made his prime messenger to the non-Jewish world. By saving someone as bad as Paul, saving somebody as bad as Paul, God shows how good he is. When God saves the worst of us, he shows how good he is. God gets glory for saving and changing wicked, broken people into his children. And, that's, and, and that God does this, launches Paul into a pain, P-A-E-A-N, pain, a song (laughs) of praise. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And then he says this. this is, he goes from that statement. He is so overwhelmed with the goodness and glory of God that he saved him. He says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Jesus saves sinners, and Jesus gets the glory. And to the world, beloved, this is weird. If you don't think it's weird, I I, I hate bringing up uh, examples from recent events a lot of times because people, they're so, you know, recent events are like Velcro. They have all kinds of attitudes and thoughts attached to them. And you might miss the main point of what I'm about to say because you've got, to, you know, it's, it's like a cuckleberry. I don't, do you know what a cuckleberry is? All right. So it's like, all right, you, got, you know, they stick to your blue jeans when you go through the weeds. And they, and, and people get these little cuckleberries. Uh, their, their attitudes get stuck to a current event. They think it means a certain thing. And so, uh, and they won't hear the message I want to say about this. But I do need to, I want to use this as an example. The world thinks it's weird that God saves horrible people. They the world cannot understand it that God saves, loves, seeks out, and saves us when we are his enemies. And I saw that this past couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to uh, mention Kim Davis. This is not about uh, Kim Davis's uh, action of, of, of uh, civil disobedience. I'm not, I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about, do you remember who Kim, Kim Davis was? Rowan County, Kentucky, the clerk of court who would not issue a, a marriage license to a same-sex couple. Okay, we know that. Um, and then she wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. She was sent to jail for contempt of court. Uh, but um, here uh, that 's that 's not the point of this illustration. Listen, this is the point. The media couldn 't get over the fact that how dare she do that she 's been married what four times or at least been with three different men, had two kids out of wedlock. Her second marriage ended and uh, but and she married the the third husband who was the father of the children she had in the second marriage and I mean she just her life was a train wreck of uh, of um, Of immorality. And then, though, four years ago, she encountered Jesus Christ and was converted, and he he changed her life. She was not the poster child for, I don't know, Christian family values. (laughs) She was the poster child for none of the above. Paul was not the poster child for someone who loved People. Not, he was not the poster child for someone who sought the lost. He was the poster child for persecution of Christians. And so it just seems weird to the world that someone like Kim Davis could, could change her life and turn around and become someone outstanding, you know, standing for, uh, for you know, biblical morality. They just don't even understand that. Here's the weirdness. Historic Orthodox Christian faith teaches that God relentlessly chooses, listen, historic Orthodox Christian faith teaches that God relentlessly chooses his enemies and assorted other losers to be his followers and messengers of his love. That's the only people that God chooses. He only chooses broken people. If you think you've got it all together, you don't qualify. Now, if you think that's not weird, you need to listen to the story that came out in June, it came out on Voice of the Martyrs podcast. Voice of the Martyrs pod, podcast. Uh, in that podcast, Gina um, Fadley, who was the director of Youth with a Mission Frontier Missions, YWAM, if some of you may know what I'm talking about, uh, she was interviewed. She said one of our YWAM workers, Youth with a Mission workers in the Middle East, was contacted by a friend earlier this year, and they met up, and he was introduced. ISIS fighter who had killed many Christians already. I mean, that's a horrible situation, and admittedly, he was probably on guard. Yeah, I guess he probably was. Fagley, who appeared on the Voice of the Martyrs radio program along with Kevin Sutter, who was another YWAM leader, went on to share that this Islamic State jihadi confessed to not only killing Christians, But listen, this is what she said, that he had actually enjoyed doing so. He told this YWAM leader that he had begun having dreams about this man in white who came to him and said, you are killing my people. And he started to feel really sick and uneasy about what he was doing. And she continued, the fighter said just before he killed one Christian, the man said to him, I know that you will kill me but I want to give you my Bible. And he did kill him. But he did take that Christian's Bible. And he began to read it. And in another dream, Jesus came to him and said, follow me. And so now he was asking to become a follower of Christ and to be his disciple said, So who knows, perhaps this man will be like Paul in the Bible that persecuted Christians, and he turned from that persecution of the early church to become the apostle who led it. God can turn it around. That's weird. So here's the good news. No matter how horrible you think you have been, no matter what you've done, Jesus came into the world to save you. Um, The longer I'm in this congregation, I've been here seven years, the more I talk to people, the more I hear their stories. He has saved us from deep sin. But no matter what you've done, he came to save you. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. Keeping the law is not going to save you. All it can do is condemn you, and if you manage to keep it outwardly, it might make you self-righteous. And everybody loves self-righteous people. Not. There's nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do to save ourselves. It has been done for us by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. We are all, every one of us here at Christ Church, sinners. If you feel out of place, you shouldn't. Because if you are a sinner, you are in good company. Philip Yancey said that there are only two types of people, only two categories of people. He said there are sinners who admit it and sinners who deny it. Every one of us is dependent on amazing grace. Jesus is glorified when he radically welcomes and radically transforms sinners. I love the... Uh, there was a, a church in Florida. I just found this quote uh, this week. And they expressed that welcome from, uh, as a church. It's the radical welcome of Jesus in their church bulletin. And, and so listen to what they say. And you know what? As, as I read this, uh, I noticed, you know, kind of... Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if the term makes any sense to you. Bowing up. I bowed up a little bit at a couple of these. And I, I realized, oh, wait a second... Um, that's because I'm not understanding the gospel. <laughs> uh, listen to what they said. We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, gay, filthy rich, dirt poor, Yo no habla ingles. <laughs> <laughs> we extend a special welcome to those who are crying newborns, skinny as a rail, or could afford to lose a few pounds, thanks be to God. <laughs> we welcome you if you can sing like Andrea Bocelli, or like your pastor who can't carry a note in a bucket. <laughs> we welcome you we here you if you're just browsing, just woke up, or just got out of jail. We don't care if you're more Catholic than the Pope, or haven't been in church since Joey's little Joey's baptism. We, ex- we extend a special welcome to those who are over 60 but not grown up yet. Ty Rice. <laughs> I'm sorry, that wasn't in there. <laughs> and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome soccer moms, NASCAR dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery or still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems or if you're down in the dumps or if you don't like organized religion. We've been there, too. If you blew all your offering money at the dog track, you're welcome here. <laughs> we offer a special welcome to those who think the earth is flat, work too hard, don't work, can't spell, or who came because grandma's in town and wanted to go to church. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, or both. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now, had religion shoved down your throat as a kid, or got lost in traffic and wound up here by mistake. We welcome tourists, seekers, and doubters, bleeding hearts, and you. That's who Jesus welcomed. There's nobody on his list that isn't welcome except those who think they do not need a physician. I have had a hymn running through my mind, and I want to ask if you will put that up. Uh, I I can't get this off my mind. Um, And this sums it up. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the lamb was spilled. If you know this, can you help me sing this? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Sin and despair, like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace. God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin dark is the stain that we cannot hide what can avail to wash it away look there is flowing a crimson tide brighter than snow you may be today grace grace God's grace, grace that imparten and cleans within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace Freely bestowed on all who believe You that are longing to see his face Will you this moment his grace Sing this loud Grace, grace, God's grace Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that your grace is greater than all our sin. Please remain standing as we tell the truth about who God is in the words of the Nicene Creed.